I'm only going to cover three verses today, so that means the service has to be that much longer. The message has to be longer. No, I'm just kidding. We're going to be in Matthew 13, and we're going to cover uh, another part of the parables today. Again, I just want to remind us to continually uh, just understand Scripture contextually. So Jesus has been spending the better part of this day dealing with the religious leaders, and they have sought to, uh, in essence, destroy him. They've asked him for a sign. They've done all these things. And then later that day, he has gone out of the house. He's gone down to the Sea of Galilee. He's gotten into a boat. He's pushed off from the shore a little bit. And he's in this boat. And he starts to teach in these parables. And a parable is a, is a, uh, a, a earthly uh, meaning with a, with, a, with a heavenly picture. So he's, he's given these parables. He's going to give throughout chapter 13 here about seven. You could say eight, depending on how you count parables but these are all occurring in that same day as he had been dealing with these religious leaders and so that afternoon he's talking and he's sharing these in the sharing these parables he gave us the parable of the sower then he gave us last week we looked at the parable of the weeds or the tares and then this week we're looking at the parable of the mustard seed and leaven anyone want a mustard seed no? No take? Okay. Well, if you want one, I got them up here. You can come get them yourself. You want to get a mustard seed a little while. I understand they're quite filling. Actually, I've never had a mustard seed, so I don't even know what they taste like other than, you know, probably a little, little strong. Apparently, where's, where's Emma? Apparently, Emma likes these. Eats them at snacks at work, delivering babies. I don't know. All right. So we're going to be in Matthew 13. So again, this will be a short stand. So if you could, though, it's again in honor of God's word, would you stand with me as we read Matthew 13, 31 through 33. God's word says that he put another parable before them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his field. It is the smallest of all seeds, but when it is grown, it is larger than all the garden plants and becomes a tree so that the birds of the air come and make nest in its branches. He told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like leaven that a woman took and hid in three measures of flour till it was all leavened. Father, we are thankful for uh, these truths that God, your word, shares with us and teaches us how to live faithfully and to live the abundant Christian life. So, Father, may we have ears to hear and that may our hearts be receptive as your Spirit guides us through your word this morning. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. So the mustard seed, uh, the mustard plant is known to have hot flavored seeds. Again, I don't know. Uh, I've never actually had a mustard seed that I'm aware of, but we'll take that's the fact. Among seeds, though, and you understand that this is a part of the Bible, that there are critics that at times that like to uh, take parts of the Bible and say, oh, well, Jesus must be wrong here because there are actual seeds smaller than a mustard seed, which a mustard seed is pretty small. But there are a few botanists, maybe even among us, that would say, well, there's actually seeds that are smaller than that. But contextually speaking, and I'll share with you in a second uh, a, a, a quote from an actual uh, the director of the Herbarium at Southern Methodist University about this uh, particular mustard seed. But for all intents and purposes, contextually, uh, it is one of the smallest in the plant family. And these plants, as they grow, typically five or six feet tall, but they can grow as high as 10 feet. They have been known to even grow as high as 12 to 15 feet in height. This is a plant. So when you uh, read this uh, text, you may go, well, 
How is that a tree? It's a plant, but understand this contextually. And these plants, as they grow, typically um, around the fall of the year, they're actually annuals, they're not uh, perennials, they only uh, grow through that year. But in the fall, they become very, the branches become very rigid, and the plant often can serve as a shelter for, uh, for birds. So I just want to give you that backdrop. So here's the quote. It says, The mustard seed would indeed have been the smallest of those to have been noticed by the people at the time of Christ. So you got to envision, they're standing there along the Sea of Galilee, he's in the boat. We've already referenced the fact that uh, he's talked about sowing the, the seed. So it's, the fields are all around there, there's all of this harvest there. And so they would have kind of understood this uh, contextually. It says the principal field crops, barley, wheat, lentils, and beans, have much larger seeds, as do other plants which might have been present as weeds and so forth. There are various weeds and wildflowers that belong to the mustard, the amaranth, the pigweed, and the chickweed family, with seeds that are small or smaller than mustard, but they would not have been known or noticed by the inhabitants. They are wild, and they are certainly would not have been planted as a crop. That's an interesting quote, because that doesn't come from some theological uh, book. It is written, again, by the uh, Dr. L.H. Shiners, the director of the Herbarium at Southern Methodist University in Dallas. But just to give us an idea of what we're dealing with, uh, with a mustard seed. Now, Jesus also mentions a mustard seed in Matthew 17. He said to them, because of your little faith, for truly I say to you, if you have faith like a grain of mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move, and nothing will be impossible for you. Little things can produce great results. Jesus here is, is speaking to the very kingdom of God, that the kingdom of God starts out seemingly small if you go back and read through scripture, but we see the impact of the gospel and the kingdom advancing even to this day. Now, if any of you have ever been out to uh, Northern California, maybe you've been out and you've seen the giant redwoods. Anybody ever been out and anybody climbed the giant redwood? Anybody ever climbed one? I'm just kidding. I don't know if it would be feasible. Can you really get your arms around them? But the giant redwood is the tallest tree that, at least in all of North America, but these incredibly tall trees are actually birthed from a very, very tiny pine cone. A pine cone that's actually probably no bigger than this little container. So this incredibly vast tree that is uh, stunning in its sight comes out of this little itty bitty pine cone because you've seen pine cones right you just go out in the woods and you can find even here pine cones decent size and you've seen some bigger ones but yet it is from this very small pine cone and that pine cone actually typically stays connected to the bark the bark is extremely thick on a redwood and the pine cone stays there protected and how this pine cone on a redwood actually is to uh, spring forth life how it gives life is through heat Actually, uh, a forest fire is actually beneficial for a redwood. I know for all the environmentalists in the house, it's like, oh, man, you know. But, you know, think about it. These are redwoods, so as tall as they are, lightning strikes happen just all the time. They're always getting struck. But this, this heat that is formed when these fires come is what brings forth new life. So it is another example of just something that's very small, but yet under the right conditions brings forth this giant tree. Well, tying this into kingdom stuff, as we were uh, last week blessed with uh, Daniel and Chrissy Hansen, and they were sharing a lot about the work that they are doing in uh, a large uh, part of the unreached world. 
I just went on again, joshuaproject.net <coughs> website. I don't want to share some statistics with you, and I want these to be statistics that are ever before us. So uh, I'll probably share these multiple times in the year, and then, uh, Lord willing, hopefully we, we see changes in these statistics. But according to joshuaproject.net, there are over 17,000 people groups in the world. So over 17,000 uh, what we would consider defined people groups, okay? Now these people groups vary in numbers. Some of these people groups can be hundreds and hundreds of thousands, even up to a million people, while others may be very small tribal groups uh, that live in very obscure, uh, unreached areas of the world. But out of the 17,000 people groups, no, Joshua Project is a Christian ministry that kind of seeks to uh, develop research and find out uh, where these groups are as far as their relationship with Christ. Their statistics would say over 7,000, over 7,000 of these 17,000 people groups would be considered unreached. And by unreached, that means that they, have, uh, they, they do not have what we would consider a, a, a healthy Bible-believing church, uh, missionaries that are sharing the true gospel, or even individuals there that have uh, come to faith in Christ. So these are unreached groups. That percentage is basically 42%. 42% of every people group in the world would be considered unreached. 42%. Now, to put that in perspective population-wise, again, these numbers are kind of rounded a little bit, but the population of the world is somewhere in the neighborhood of close to 8 billion. 8 billion people. And by the way, just for those who ask for it, because I know you're always asking me, what, what are your views on the environment? You know, what are your views on the Green New Deal? What are your views on all these things? God created this, this entire planet to handle anything goofy or anything we do. He is way ahead of us. Okay, so this this world we live in, we need to steward. We should be wonderful stewards. God gave Adam the command to have dominion over the over the, the land that he was to care for it. We need to care well for it. But guess what? If every cow in the world were to exponentially populate by a billion, God's world will still be okay, right? It's not gonna blow a hole in the ozone layer because there's more cows doing what cows do. All right, you good? That is all a false religion. Amen. That's what that is. You need to understand this. God is sovereign, which means he created everything knowing the end in mind, okay? He didn't create it and go and, and just step back, all right? It's not theist evolution. It's not God created and then just took his hands off of everything and said, well, we're just going to let things go. No, he created things with order because he is a God of order. He does not create chaos. So anyway, uh, I, know, I know you were asking, so I thought I'd share. But population 8 billion, out of that 8 billion, uh, that, would, that would mean 3.4 billion people would con be considered unreached. 3.4 billion. So again, 42% of the world's population is unreached. Now, I say all this, and it's going to tie into this parable, but we, um, you know, every time anything happens in the world, uh, particularly in the Middle East, right, if something happens anywhere in and around Israel, if stuff's going on with Iran, I mean, we are all like, Jesus is going to be back tomorrow. Jesus is coming back tomorrow. I can tell. I've ran the numbers. I've looked at everything. He's coming back tomorrow. He could, all right? For one, a couple things. One, the end times started in Acts 2, okay? That's when the end times started. So for 2,000 years, we have been in the end times. We are every day closer to the return of Christ. And Lord willing, it won't be long, 
right? We, we, we long for that day that Christ will return, that he will reestablish his rightful place. We long for that. But let's read some Bible here. So let's go over to, uh, let's go to um, Revelation 5. And um, the screen might just, yeah, hey, y'all fixed it. Good job. I have it wrong in my note. So. And it says in Revelation 5, between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders, I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain. And you understand, this is Jesus, okay? With seven horns and with seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. And he went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne. And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb, each holding a harp a, and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song, saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals. For you were slain, and by your blood you have ransomed people for God from class every that was terrible from every. every tribe and language and people and nation that was horrible let's restart and you have ransomed people for God from every tri wait 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 I'm not sure how many people Every tribe, not just half or part or people in certain parts of the world or, or, or good old Americans living in the Western world, okay? Every tribe and language and people and nation. All right, now let's think for a second. If there's going to be at least one person from every tribe, every language, every people and every nation, we got some work to do based off those numbers. If those numbers are accurate, and the reality is those numbers probably are actually not 100% accurate, it's actually worse. Uh, Daniel was sharing last week, and you heard him share that there are people in, uh, there are churches in some of the villages and tribal groups they go into with even a pastor, but who does not understand the gospel. And he literally references, he said, and unfortunately, and it's not an intentional act, it's nothing bad, I would encourage you to go on joshuaproject.net every day they'll give you a people group to pray, pray for, and it's a wonderful resource. But those areas that they had those churches and that pastor, even if it's, he's not understanding and teaching the gospel that we know of, is quite often counted. So reality is there's probably even more unreached people groups than even these numbers would indicate. Point is, irregardlessly, we have work that God is still doing. There is still a people from all of these people groups who will ultimately worship the Lamb of God. And it says, and you have made them a kingdom and priest to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. So when we look at this parable of the mustard seed and the leaven, we will see that, it, that Jesus himself, he says, the kingdom of heaven is like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his field. We know from the prior passages that Jesus himself is the sower. He is sowing the, the good seed of the gospel. Jesus himself is, is drawing people to himself. But we learned last week with the parable of the weeds or the tares, depending on your translation, that there is an enemy who is sowing bad seed, corrupt seed. He is sowing and then these seeds become intermingled and the wheat and the tares or the wheat and the weeds are unable to be even distinguished during uh, the large part of their, of their maturation, of their time growing together. 
but eventually they will be distinguished, but then you can't just separate them for fear of destroying the good wheat. So Jesus says that it's going to be at the end time harvest, at the end of the harvest, that he will gather these, his angels or reapers, they come and they will gather in these and they will separate the wheat from the weeds and the weeds will be cast into a eternal fire and the wheat will be gathered into his eternal kingdom. So he is talking about the kingdom of heaven. This is a very common theme throughout Matthew. Matthew is a very a very uh, devout Jew. He uh, kind of betrayed his countrymen uh, for Rome. He's the tax collector who's collecting taxes from his brethren, from his brothers, giving to this dictatorship, giving to this, this government who is going to oppress his own people. So you can imagine, Matthew's not exactly uh, a fan favorite, but yet God calls Matthew. Matthew is now following Jesus. He is traveling along, and he is writing down his account. And he's given us not necessarily every single thing that happened, but he's but he's given us. So sometimes we've got to look at the other gospel accounts too, and you can look over in Mark 4 and Luke, and, and you can kind of uh, fill in a little bit more of some of these individual parables he gives. But he, he tells us so often throughout his gospel about this kingdom of heaven. And this kingdom uh, of heaven is, is even in the here and now. But this kingdom started out with a very small beginning. Now, we don't have time to go into all of it, but if you were to go back through the Old Testament, we will find that, that there are all these uh, messianic prophecies pointing to when the Messiah would come. But the Messiah would not come in the way that they were looking for, as the, as the faithful Jew was looking. They were looking for what? Someone who's going to come in as this military giant, someone who's going to come in, free them from the oppression of Rome, was going to take control. Uh, they were looking for someone in the likeness of David that would come back and, and sit on the throne and rule and reign, and, that, and they, would be, you know, they would be it again. But that's not how the kingdom comes. Matter of fact, if you were to consider all ways that a kingdom would rise, you probably would never come to this way. Let's, let's have the kingdom start by having uh, God become a baby. I mean, that's insane, right? I mean, that's, that's the differentiation of so many uh, of, of, of world religions because God came to us when we could not go to him. He came here. He came in the most humblest of means, a baby. What's a baby have to have done for it? Everything. A baby doesn't come out the wound and, and, and you know, feed itself and be able to uh, learn how to do things. It ha it's, it's taught. I mean, a baby is completely dependent upon somebody uh, caring for it and nurturing for it. And yet this is how God came, Emmanuel, God with us. He comes to where? Ashland, right? He grew up in the town of Ashland. You can participate. It'd probably go quicker. I don't know. But he came to Bethlehem. Right? Bethlehem's not this metropolitan city that you think, hey, this is the place, the Messiah. Now, the prophetic word said that that is where he would ultimately come from. But even the prophet Micah says what? He calls Bethlehem small. It's not this, you know, this place that you would think of. Um, but yet, this is the place that God in his, in his sovereign hand and his providence decided to bring forth his son. And yet, through all of this small, humble beginnings, we see ultimately the church has exponentially grown. Now, even in Jesus' own life. Now, we know that scripturally, we last we really hear about Jesus as he's grown up is around the age of 12. Right? He's in the temple with his mom and dad, and they leave, and they get, you know, they leave him around Ashland, and they get all the way to Wheeling, West Virginia, and they're like, anyone seen Jesus? I thought you had him. Nope, thought you had him. Did you check in the back of the minivan? Nope, he's not in the back of the minivan. So guess what? You got to turn around, and mom's not hysteric, right? Mary's probably going crazy because where's Jesus? 
I mean, she knows he's God, but he still is my son. And like, where is he at? Like you and I, we'd be like flipping out all the way. Like that next three-day journey, we'd be because they're like on like a donkey and walking. It ain't going to come quickly for them to get back and turn around. We don't know how far it is, but it's far enough. But then we don't really hear a lot, right? We know he, you know, quite probably, you know, carpenter worked for his dad. But even then, we don't know, like, what kind of carpenter was him. The, the odds are it probably wasn't a wood carpenter. I know that's like a big bummer for a lot of us because we think Jesus, like, whittled all those manger scenes we see every time, right? Right? You go to Bethlehem today, you get all these awesome little manger scenes whittled out of olive wood. Probably wasn't a wood, culpa, wood sculptor, possibly, right? But, the, but in that area in Nazareth was a rock quarry. Rock was kind of the big thing. So it's very probably was more of a rock mason than he was, you know, whittling wood. Sorry, Chris. I know it's like, just like, I was like, man, I based my whole career around this. But anyway, but he does this in relative obscurity in a little town called Nazareth, Right. It's not, again, this big metropolitan area, not the place you would anticipate the Messiah coming forth. Matter of fact, what do the disciples say? What good has come out? Anything good come out of Nazareth? Is anything good come out of Nazareth? I mean, I heard they're going to build a Hardee's, and next thing you know, that didn't even happen. So there's been like nothing that's good that's come out of Nazareth in, in like history. They, the, the, the own people who from, are from the region, right, are like, Nazareth is not exactly, uh, you know, this, this, this boom town. But yet, at the end, when Jesus is gathered with his disciples in the upper room, the Bible tells us what? There's 120 people. I mean, three years of ministry, three years of teaching, training, calling people to himself. There's 120 gathered in the upper room. By modern metrics, we'd probably say, well, was that really successful? All that he did in 120 people, well, yes, it was, because those 120 people grew to over 3,000 in just one day, as we see the very Spirit of God descend and draw people to himself. Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 15 that, that even upon the resurrection of Christ, that he would appear to over 5,000 people. So the church does then start to grow exponentially. It multiplies time and time again. We know all those people that had gathered there in Jerusalem for Pentecost. All the faithful Jews, they were required to come to the three festivals a year, Passover being once, they'd come to Passover, but they'd come from all over. Well, as, as the Spirit of God descends on Pentecost, and these people are filled with God's Spirit, they're going to now take this gospel back to all these places they've come from. That's why when we read through the epistles, uh, so often, where did Paul go when he would enter a city? He would enter the synagogue. He would enter the synagogue. But there were quite probably there would have been some Christians in these cities. When he writes to the church at Rome, he's not been to Rome, but there are Christians in Rome. That's why he's writing to them. And he writes this, this incredible letter to the church at Rome because there were believers that had came to faith and had taken the gospel back to Rome. <clears throat> and throughout the entire Roman Empire, there are all these people. So the church is this mustard seed. It's, it starts off this kind of small and it's seemingly insignificant and, and and what is the real difference it's ultimately making in the world but it grows and grows and grows as people come to faith and as they ultimately multiply but in this passage we see here that this mustard seeds is is considered the least of the seed this in fact is, is stressing the the seemingly insignificant of the beginnings of the kingdom of jesus ministry his kingdom came in a way that they did not expect and even his own brothers did not believe in him and they uh, did not believe his message. It, it comes uh, later that even his own literal flesh and blood will come to saving faith. So we see it comes from a very small beginning. And then we see, though, the ultimate growth. That is the, that is the growth because God is moving. In Matthew 9, 
We read uh, Jesus teaching his disciples how to pray. They ask him how to pray. They don't ask him anything else. They, they don't teach him how to heal. They don't teach him how, they don't ask him how. I mean, I mean, honestly, if you're with Jesus, you've seen him walk on water. You mean like, you're going to be like, hey, teach us to pray. How do you pray, Jesus? How do you pray? I mean, let's be honest. We would be like, hey, I want to walk on water. Can you, how do you do that? How do you do? How do you, po- how do you heal a blind man? Not how do you pray, but yet they ask, how do you pray? He says, pray like this, then our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. What? Your kingdom come, your will be done. Where? Come on, class. On earth as it is in heaven. God's kingdom is here and now. It's not just an eternal uh, kingdom. It will be, but it also is in the here and now. And Jesus started with just that, that small, if you would, ragtag group of men. These were predominantly, not all, but predominantly uneducated men. They were predominantly a lot were fishermen. They would not have been viewed as a very, uh, you know, they weren't, they weren't the guys you picked first when you're drawing teams up. Okay, I mean, really, if you honestly uh, look at it face value, there may not even been the last ones picked. They probably would not have even been picked. That's the kid, and and you know, I mean, like you know, you you've evened up teams, and there's still one kid left, and you're just like, no room, no room in the end, buddy. Right? I mean, they probably wouldn't have even been picked last. They would have probably not been picked at all. But nevertheless, this small group, this group of uh, of twelve men, and and newsflash, one of them did not really work out well. But yet he was all part of God's sovereign plan, right? God is the one who put Judas there, all right? Judas didn't go, hey, I think I'm going to follow this guy named Jesus. No, God's sovereign plan had included that Judas was going to be one of the 12. And we see this uh, continually. But if we just do the little things, right? Uh, we've shared this before, but a lot of these things are worth repeating because I want you to get it. And Mike has this on a t-shirt that he wears occasionally, but Dawson Troutman back in the late 1930s said, actually he did it in a message around 1950, but he said, if one man were to go out and take the next six months and lead one man to faith in Christ and then disciple that man so that at the end of six months, there would be two of you. And if you do that exponentially out, it's amazing the impact makes. So we got to work the math out together. Okay. And so you got a calculator. I botched this before, so I'm pretty sure I botched it again. So if one man takes, leads one man to save in faith, and obviously the Spirit of God who has to draw that man, but if that man comes to faith because of your investment in them, and then you disciple that man at the end of six months, how many people are there? Y'all are confused because it's two. It's just two, right? You can do this, right? Everybody do this, go. Come on, put your hands up. One, two. Two people after six months, all right? We can, we can handle this for, for a few of these before we have to take our shoes and socks off and count as well. But at the end of six months, if those, I know I'm going to confuse people, two were to go out, lead two other men to faith in Jesus Christ, and then those two also are discipled to be able to reproduce. At the end of one year, how many people we got? Four, right. I'm just trying to trick you. I will make sure you're tracking. I will make sure you're following okay. Because, you know, a lot of people, math can be a tough subject. I failed calculus twice. You may ask yourself, why did you take calculus twice? I don't know. I really have no idea. You fail it once, you just be like, that's enough, right? Why do you retake it, Denny? Anyway, to fail it again, apparently, is what I did. So, nevertheless, that's not how you stay in school. Mom and dad, they pay a lot of money to send you to school. That's not good That's not good stewarding of the resources. One year, four men. So now four of you, four of you go out and lead four men to saving faith in Jesus Christ. You, uh, those four get disciples at the end of uh, 18 months, right? That's a year and a half, right? He's like the math guy here. How many people have come to faith? Eight. Eight people walk with the Lord. At the end of two years, those eight people go out. They lead eight people to saving faith. They get disciples. So at the end of two years, how many you got? 
16, your track, you're just, man, A plus effort here. So uh, two and a half years, eight becomes what? I mean, 16 becomes, see, I'm already confusing myself. 16 becomes 32. Uh, at the end of three years, 32 becomes what? Y'all are doing great. I have the cheat sheet up here. So, all right, three and a half years, 64 becomes? Some of you are going to really struggle right now. Some of you are already like, oh, I'm just going to look on the, I'm going to add this on the computer. But at the end of four years, how many? 256, then four and a half, 512, and at the end of five? 1054. Dana is like the math whiz over here. He's already, yeah, 1024. He's already got this uh, like exponentially after 20 years. But, all right, five years, 1,024 people that would be walking with the Lord. Now, all right, let's be realistic. That's probably not going to happen. But let's say you have a 50% fail rate. That's still 512 people after five years. Do you realize if you were in a church in America today that ran 500 people, faithful followers of Jesus Christ, you'd be in less than 3% of the churches there are that exist. In five years. And in reality is most churches in America are older than five years of age, which brings us back to the simple thing. We've really not made disciples and we've not understood that God's kingdom is a, is a living, breathing organism. It's not just, hey, let's come get what we can out of it. It's, hey, how do we come and be, uh, be equipped to go out and take the gospel and that we need to continually be investing in other. So this seed, this seed grows exponentially. So this seed that is greater than the herbs and becomes this great plant, uh, even refers to it like a tree, stresses that in spite of such small beginnings, the kingdom of heaven will indeed become large. And one day we will hopefully, if you've placed your faith and trust in Jesus Christ alone, we will stand in glory with all these brothers and sisters in Christ from, from every nation, every tongue, every tribe, every person in, in, around the world uh, from these people, that, from all the different people groups that come to faith in Jesus Christ alone, we will stand and worship with them. And it will be such a multitude and we will just be in awe of the Lamb of God. Jesus Christ, who has drawn these people. But it does take time. It doesn't happen right away. Uh, so we need to invest in people. Now, uh, I was with some, uh, with some folks this week. And uh, I was with a young man. This, uh, met this young man, I don't know, probably 15, 16 years ago, working at kids camp. All right? So if you think kids ministry and kids camp is, is, is not important, then, then uh, you've been deceived already. So this young man, he's serving as an intern in uh, kids camp. His name is Andrew. I won't do whole names now. At 8 o'clock, I'm not recorded, so I can say more. But met him at a camp at, at Wake Forest University uh, there in North Carolina. And got reacquainted with this young man, I don't know, probably about five or six years ago. Became a youth pastor in our area. Uh, and at that point, he was in Maryland. And then in the last three years, I've seen him as God has used him and brought him into church planning. And he's gone through assessment, through a state assessment, and he's getting ready to, to be sent out. So he's getting ready to move in March, him and his wife Eunice. His wife is, uh, is, is, is from the Philippines. And they are moving to Dallas-Fort Worth. Specifically, they're moving to Irving, Texas. Anybody like old, true, diehard Dallas fans? Right, that's like that's like where like that's like where the stadium was like right that was 25 years ago and it's kind of gone downhill. But anyway, but he's planting a church there. Now in that community in Irving, it is 90% immigrant families. Now in our finite mind, and I'm with you on this. Okay, first thing in my mind is thinking, oh, this must be a lot of immigrants that have come across the border. There's probably a lot of uh, it's, it's a very large Latin American population. Nope, far from it. 90% immigrants, all Southeast Asian. In Irving, Texas, all Southeast Asians. So uh, a very uh, educated community, okay? 
a lot of folks that have come, gotten degrees, and they've worked in this, in this now becoming this very uh, large tech area as well. So this young man uh, that Andrew met uh, probably about a year ago, he meets this young man, and he starts hearing about this young man's story. This young man is from India. At two years of age, he is uh, given up for adoption. He's, by that, I mean they left him on the step of a Hindu temple, right? Like, to be given up for adoption there is like, we're just going to take you, drop you off here. So this young boy, he, from the age of two, break, do this, right? Come on, you can do this. By the age of two, all the way until he is 18, he is raised and lives in a Hindu temple by the Hindu priest. So what do you think he's being taught? how to become a Hindu priest, right? They are investing in him, indoctrinating him, uh, teaching him all this stuff so he can be a Hindu priest. Well, um, God's not going to be mocked, amen? So in God's sovereignty, God has this young man, and I know his name, but I won't share it with you, uh, move to Dallas-Fort Worth to come to school, right? Because he's going to come to America to get educated. Because even though we've got some really crazy college and university stuff that's going on on campuses, we still, by and large, have probably the strongest of the college universities in the world. So people around the world send their folks here. They send their young men. They send their young women here to get educated. Well, he comes here, and another young man, a young American man, says, hey, would you be willing... Uh, to just read the Bible with me. Yeah, I heard you say that. That's a, that's, man, just invite someone to read through the Bible with you. So this uh, young Hindu man, he's like, well, what's going to hurt, right? I mean, even I'll, I'll accept your Jesus. He'll just be one of the 300 and, you know, 30 million other gods that I serve. He didn't have any uh, concept of what uh, the very spirit of God's going to do. Uh, i say long story short, but it's already been long. But anyway, he comes to saving faith by reading through God's word with this young man there in Dallas-Fort Worth. He's now a believer, and now he is part of this church plant team that's going to be in Irving, Texas, because God does amazing things through little itty-bitty acts. This one uh, man that had no concept of who God was, had no idea who Jesus Christ is, the Son of God, Emmanuel, comes to the U.S. to get an education, and God is now using him. And this is a young man, Andrew, that was working as an intern in children's ministry, you know, 15, 16 years ago, and, 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 and God is using him and, and taking him from right here in Metro Richmond and planting him in Irving, Texas, to reach Southeast Asians. Amen, Sherry? Right? The world has been brought to our doorsteps. All we got to do is respond. So how do we do it? Well, we, gotta, um, we have to have a heart for people. I mean, it's that simple. We have to have a heart for people. I love this. It's, um, I, don't, I don't have a reference to give you, so that's why I didn't put it up there because I don't know who originally said this, but I love this. It says, we need people who look not at an apple and count the seeds, but looks at a seed and counts the apples. Let me reread that because it's good. We need people who will look not at an apple and count the seeds, but looks at a seed and counts the apples with their many seeds. But we have to see people. We have to be amongst people. Uh, we can't do this all from the, uh, the privacy and comfort of our own houses. We need to be willing to go into the world. We are called to be salt and light. Now, there are uh, areas that you have to you know, really consider uh, where you go and, and be smart, but we have to uh, take the gospel. We have to be people who are willing to put the kingdom of God first in their lives. 
Now, we saw that uh, last couple of weeks, the parable of the, the, the seed, when it is sown, that only about uh, 25% fall on good soil. Now, is that a fair statistic? Maybe. I don't know. I mean, but the reality is there are a lot of soils that are just, they're, they're not going to take uh, gospel root. It's just not going to occur in them. But we're not responsible for which soil is and how it's been tended. We're responsible to share the gospel, to take these little seeds of the gospel and take them to the lost and share the gospel. And then God will work in his timing and his sovereign providential timing, and he will draw people to himself. And guess what? Jesus makes it very clear. It's going to be that we have an enemy. We have someone who's been counterfeiting everything God has created uh, since, you know, he have fell himself. And that's Lucifer, the devil, Satan. He is a fallen angel. He's finite. He's finite. He's not infinite. Uh, he's not omnipotent. Okay. Uh, he has a limit. But he is doing all he can to counterfeit what God has done to sow discourse and to sow these weeds in. But, but Jesus is saying, hey, you know what? That's going to happen until ultimately Christ returns and takes his rightful uh, throne. So we need to just be sowing seeds, sharing the gospel, loving old folks. But we have to have a heart for people. We can't allow uh, the cares of the world, the deceitfulness of riches, the pleasures of life, all these things that actually choke out uh, the good fruit. We must be, as Jesus said, seek first the kingdom of heaven and what all these things will be added unto you all these things and those things are 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 are, are abundant life that only christ himself can give that's not meaning uh, material possessions but but it means the joy of life it means living the fruit of the spirit uh having love peace joy patience long-suffering uh we will bear much fruit and i don't go into it but john 15 he talks very much of that and and this fruit because it says that when this mustard seed grows it literally grows to the point that trees, I mean trees, well, it is a tree, but birds of the air come and, notice it says, make nest in its branches. That's an important part. Not just come and sit on a branch. We've got a bird out here that sits on a branch every day and attacks cars. He's like crazy. He's like, the, the bird is crazy. But he hasn't made a nest out there. These birds make a nest in these branches. So what is a nest? Right? I mean, it's like a home. It's like where these birds are going to raise up other birds and so forth and so on. So they make a nest in these branches. And then he tells them this last thing. He told them another purpose. The kingdom of heaven is like leaven that a woman took and hid in three measures of flour till it was all leaven. Now, quite often in scripture, leaven is referred to as, it's, it's viewed as sin. Uh, this is not one of those cases. Uh, this point is, again, because look at the contextualization of this passage and the fact that this woman sowed, it says she, um, this woman took three measures of flour. This would have been about 50 pounds of flour, right? That's a decent amount of flour. You know what you can make with 50 pounds of flour? A lot of bread, right? You make a lot of bread. So she's not even, this, this, this principle, she's not even talking about like feeding herself or even feeding her family, but, but having bread to feed like the village. But this leaven, it what? It multiplies. This leaven that gets in there, we know leaven is yeast, right? It gets in this dough and it starts to, uh, the, the fermentation takes place and this whole batch starts to rise and, and it becomes more and more and more. And that's how we should be as well, as we take this gospel into uh, the world. And by the way, we have lost neighbors. We have lost workmates. We have lost people that are involved with our kids and all these opportunities we have. We have to have a heart for the loss, and then we have to be willing to actually respond. 
That doesn't mean you walk up and down uh, your, your, the cubicles, uh, you, know, you know, screaming and hollering. You've got to spend some time and, and make relationships. But, you know, th- but, you know, God will work in you if you allow him. If you're available and willing, he will work. It's like this. I saw this on Denny's desk this week. It's the little engine that could. I think he's about halfway through. Is that halfway through now? He's been reading it for a few weeks. But anyway, I think it's that you sit on the front row. I mean, it's just the way it is, right? Um, you, you're man enough to do it there right now. But I thought this was, a, this was just a reminder this week that, you know, just like that little engine that could, right? We have the gift of the very Spirit of God in us. And if we would just simply um, grow in faith in our, in our walk with Christ, God will use us to do uh, immeasurably more than we could ever imagine. We, we can't imagine what God can and will do in and through us. So just like the mustard seed, uh, the leaven, uh, these grow they they infiltrate they make uh things continue the the kingdom of god is continually at work jesus said i will build my church he said he will build his church we're simply called to be faithful in in taking this gospel he's going to build his church he's going to build his church here he's going to build his church there he's going to build his church everywhere but just a couple things to 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 wrap this up hopefully to some degree so, um, and the reason I, I had that book is I think it's, it's a reminder of who we are. You might go, oh, well, we're not like a big church compared to a lot of churches out there. But you know what? We want to have a kingdom significant uh, impact uh, that's, that's greater than anything we could think of. So what does that require? Well, I mean, it requires that we have to think a whole lot less of us and a whole lot of others. We have to be considering the world that is out there. That doesn't mean we're not investing and training up, but it means that we are going forth. So for that, a couple things just to throw on your calendar here. Uh, March 3rd, it's a Sunday. That's Sunday night. We're going to be having a baptismal service. We've got a number of folks getting baptized, which is an exciting time to celebrate what God's doing. As God is drawing people to himself, and they're publicly making a proclamation of faith. And then that night, uh, a good friend of ours, Eric Josephson, is going to be preaching. I encourage you to come. It'd be great to have a, 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 a large group that night because he's going to be bringing about 20 folks with him. They're going to be part of a new church plant. Guess what the new church plant's going to be? Like two miles from us. And we're going to support Eric. Eric is someone that we've been investing in. He's part of uh, uh, our elder training. Uh, spent a couple hours with, with uh, Eric on Friday. He is solid as can be. And we want to see more healthy churches planted all around us. Would you say this, hey, and 20, this just within a five-mile radius, 22,000 people just within a five-mile radius of our church. Hanover County is 111,000, just to put it in perspective. And, and we do not have enough gospel-centered, Bible-teaching churches. But that means we've got to raise them up. Uh, short time after that, probably within a month after that, you're going to have another young man that's going to come. So we're bringing back the Sunday nights, all right? Um, we're going to bring back opportunities for train up these young men because they got to learn how to rightly handle God's word so we can, we can hopefully see some reversals that's been going on. Uh, we have more pastors in America today over the age of 65 than we do under the age of 45. And that's not a, and that's not a, a state convention. That's not a national convention. That's not an association, a network's problem. It is the local church. 
We need to raise up young men. And that means starting when they are really young men. We need to start challenging young men to, uh, to take hard, heart the gospel. And we need to start ch ch challenging their youth and our young adults and others to, uh, to consider if, if God can use them. Uh, when you're around a bunch of these young guys and you see places they're going, I mean, like, I mean, like Daniel and Chrissy, like that's crazy stuff, right? I mean, to be uh, going and have already been, but to see these young people, we want to see our own. We want to see people raised up in this church that we're going to send out. It might be a mile down the road or it might be a million miles away, but wherever God leads them, that'll happen. So we're going to be bringing back Sunday night. So the last Sunday in February, we're going to have a church-wide prayer night. We're going to also be starting once a month on a Sunday night from 5 to 6, having a, uh, having a corporate prayer time. where We're just going to be praying and just trusting whatever God wants to do, God's going to do, and just going to get out of the way. You're going to hear from other young pastors and preachers that are being raised up and challenged to go out and be sent in the ministry. You'll hear some of our own uh, young men, hopefully, that are going to be uh, preaching God's word, learning how to effectively do that. You're gonna, I think it's going to be an exciting time. There's going to be opportunities. When Eric comes, we're hopefully going to have an opportunity to get to know some of their folks because, listen, these are gospel-centered folks. We want to do all we can to, uh, to help them. Uh, you'll hear more and more about opportunities we have even uh, globally to be a part of what God is doing. But the reality is um, we, we may be, in many ways, we just may be this little mustard seed, but I can guarantee you that the eternal impact, if we simply trust God, and we can simply also uh, get out of our own way sometimes and not make it about ourselves, not make it what I prefer, because there's a lot of things we could say and we could try to use the calling card of Christian liberty. But the reality is we're supposed to be saying, you know what? It's not about me, right? We don't sing. It's all about me and look at me. I mean, we do sing that in our mind. We may not sing it out loud because we're singing it's all about Jesus. But in reality, it ain't all about Jesus because we're worried about what's in it for us. How can I get something out of this? What can I be made? How can I make, you know, be made bigger and put on a platform or just whatever? We make everything about us. It's in our human nature, okay? So understand that it's part of our, it's part of our, our, our first dad's DNA, okay? We inherited a sin nature, so part of that is who we are. But we can change. So 1947, John Wooden is coaching Indiana State Sycamores. Anybody been to an Indiana State basketball game in the late 1940s? Anybody? <laughs> So who is the most famous Indiana State basketball player, though? Larry Bird. Who said that? Larry Bird. Anyway, he's coaching Indiana State Sycamores. They have a great year. They are invited by the NAIA, which, uh, you know, kind of before the NCAA became all this thing, to go to their national tournament in Kansas City, Missouri. Uh, the only problem was one stipulation that came with that invitation was no black uh, student-athletes would be allowed to play on their team. Well, it was a problem because um, Coach Wooden had Clarence Walker on his team. Now, he was a ninth or tenth man then. Didn't play a lot, all right? Didn't play a lot, but he was a great student. He was, a, he was an honorable young man. He grew up in East Chicago. And John Wooden said, you know what? This is a team. We're in this together. We're not, I don't believe in that, so he declined the invitation. Much to the chagrin of many people, because here's a great team, and he is declining this invitation. He says, this is not the way it should be. So the following year happened again. Another great year. They've gained nation, na nationwide attention, attention uh, much because of John Wooden's coaching style. They called it racehorse uh, uh, style of basketball. He was very fast-tempoed, very up, of course. And so he gets the invitation again. And uh, in his own words, he says this, when the invitation from the NAIB arrived, it was difficult to say no quietly, 
we would be one of the main attractions in Kansas City. Nevertheless, I informed the committee that the Sycamores would not attend, and I gave my reason. Well, they come back, and they are trying to give him a compromise, and this is the compromise. He says that uh, Clarence Walker can play in the games, but he must not be seen publicly with the team. He must stay in a private home away from the other players. He must not attend publicity functions with the Sycamores. John Wooten said that I felt this humiliation was worse than leaving Clarence behind in Terre Haute. The answer was a very easy no. He said he received a call, though, the next day from the NAACP, and they suggested that he would reconsider. And this was their, this was their line. They said if Clarence agrees to the impositions, he will become the first black player to ever permitted to play in a national college basketball tournament. So John Wooten says, and this is all in, his, uh, all in his book, My Personal Best. He said, I talked it over with Clarence, who then talked it over with his parents in Chicago. They all agreed that it was worth it. So I accepted the NAIB's invitation to play in Kansas City starting March 8th, 1948. And Clarence Walker became the first black student athlete to play in a national college basketball tournament. Um, Coach Wooden liked to say, if you sacrifice principle trying to please everyone, you end up pleasing no one. Well, the littlest things make a big difference. And that set a trajectory that uh, changed not only ultimately college basketball, changed a lot of other things as well. But it was the little things. And Wooten was a, John Wooten was a, a, a man of God and a man of faith and um, really uh, did a lot to invest in his young men. His, uh, his uh, student athletes would always respect because of who he was. Matter of fact, interestingly enough, when John Wooten would gather his teams together every year at the start of the new season, and he did this all the way through uh, his many years at UCLA, and you know, statistically, there's no greater basketball player, a basketball coach in the history uh, of basketball. There is never, the, well, I don't, there's almost an impossibility that someone will, will, will break uh, most of his records. But you know, every year when he would get his student athletes and they would come to him for the first uh, time, they'd be meeting there in the gym. First thing he would teach his young men was how to put on their shoes and socks. This is the, arguably the greatest mind in basketball for, I mean, probably even still, right? Amen? He knew what he was doing, but he taught these men how to put on their shoes and socks. He said, if you don't get that right, then everything else is going to start to fall apart. If you put on your sock in such a way that you get a crease in it, and next thing you run up and down the court and you form a blister, you're out for the game. You're no more, you're, you're no more help to the team. And he taught this, and even though the... the Young man every year would come in and just, I mean, give him the grief and like moan and groan about how silly is, is childish almost. But out of their respect for him, because they knew that uh, just, just, just what he was about, and he, and he earned great respect for the way he treated these young men, uh, they would adhere. And uh, I mean, the kind of the, you know, the, the uh, fruits in the pudding, right? I mean, he was so successful. Little things matter. We need to understand that even though the kingdom of God, Jesus is comparing it to this little mustard seed, but yet because God is moving in incredible ways all around this world, we may not ever see the vast majority of what God is doing globally. Uh, we may be privileged enough to see small percentages of it, but God is doing a great work, and, and, and we just need to be faithful with what he's given us to do. The problem is when we're not even faithful with that. And that's faithful to invest in the kingdom. That's spending time investing in people's lives, sharing the gospel, not just letting that be the end. That means taking on that, that young man, that young woman, and investing in them that they would grow and be discipled, that they in turn would be able to do so with their kids. You know, we have a mass epidemic in our country that the very students that are growing up in our churches today are leaving the church by the time they're 16, 17 years of age. And that's not the youth pastor's responsibility. Trust me. 
all right? It's our responsibility as parents. And that means even if you are investing in not only your kid, but you can invest in your kid's friends. You can make that investment, and then we have a great opportunity to walk alongside you and help you. But, but these are all things that we all can be part of, and that's uh, getting to know our neighbor, serving faithfully. Uh, you never know that God's not brought that young man from that Hindu temple right to your neighborhood and just waiting for you to simply say, hey, would you be willing to just read through the Bible together, right? It's not rocket science, but it's doing something. So I just want to challenge us this morning, and just like that leaven permeated out in that, in that uh, flower and ultimately expanded greatly, that's the impact of the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of heaven is not going to be stopped. We just have to decide, are we going to be part of what God, God's doing, or are we going to be content to sit on the sidelines and criticize everything that we see on the field? Because it's really that simple, right? There's a lot of critics in the church. They're everywhere. They're everywhere. And you know what? It takes, no, it, it takes no intelligence. It takes no matter of skill. It takes little to no effort to be a critic. You know what it takes time and hard work? Get in the game. Being willing to, to shed some blood and some sweat and uh, maybe some tears. And knowing that, guess you know what? There's going to be opposition. And guess who the opposition may come from? Might be in my own family. Might be in my friends. Might be very people who I thought were close. That might happen, right? But that's what it's going to take for us to continue to see a great movement. And that means it's going to take more sacrifice on us as a church. So as we get this incredible opportunity to invest in some of these young men and see them plant out and, and hopefully called in the missions around the world, we're going to have to really sacrifice even more. We're going to have to consider what do we do to invest to see the gospel continually go forth. Now, God doesn't need us to do that, but he gives us this great opportunity. And I'd rather be serving uh, alongside my Savior than sitting in the mess tank uh, getting shot in the rear end from friendly fire, which is what happens quite a lot. So we can even step up and put our big boy britches on, our big girl britches on, and get out there and get in the game and know that, you know what, we might get hurt. <laughs> but you know what, I'd rather get hurt playing the game than sitting in the nosebleed section thinking I know what's best and I know what should be doing. Because reality, you don't know anything. You're probably given that ticket by someone who was uh, just trying to uh, get rid of it. So I just want to encourage us today that we need to be about our Father's business, and our Father's business is seeing people come to faith and being discipled that they can go out and do likewise. So I hope that, that this is a great r reminder of the little things, that little seed you planted in that uh, that kid that lived down the street or or um i had an email this week and i know i'm going long but it's important i got an email this week from the new director of the good news club we uh leading good news club now for central virginia and uh, we've known these folks we've known these folks for years and they shared that hanover county does not have a single good news club now uh, we can argue a lot of different things but here's the reality hanover county is still such that we have an open door to go into a public school, into an elementary school or high school, middle school, whatever, and we can actually have these good news clubs that meet after school that, guess what, share the good news. We have that opportunity. However, we don't have a single good news club in all of Hanover County. I mean, that was like, I mean, that was heartbreaking. I mean, we had been uh, seeing what God did through good news clubs for years. And, you, and if you know me, if you've been around me, you know I'm our, our heart, and we want to see one in Elmont. But it's not going to happen until people say, hey, what do we need to do to make this happen? And that's going to require people that are going to have to give up some time. They're going to have to take some time away from something else. I get it, right? But we're talking about from uh, late October through the end of April, 
Anybody can do it, okay? But what an opportunity we have to do something so simple. And I just, it's, it's sad because we still are a county. My point is this, when the county though decides to vote in the next few years to allow transgender in the bathroom, you remember that you sat here this morning and heard me say we had an opportunity to go into these schools and share the good news and we instead said, no, I'm too busy. So do not complain about that when that happens if we can't respond now by planting a little seed and seeing what God will do in an incredible way. Father, we just thank you for your great work that God, you take the littlest things, just the faithful obedience of just one man or one woman or one, uh, one child. And Father, you can work in mighty ways. And God, you don't need us. You will continually do your work. You will build your church. But God, you have given us this incredible privilege, this incredible opportunity to share the gospel, to see people come to faith and to then help them grow in their faith, to be a disciple that goes and, and, and reproduces and does likewise. And so that Father, there is gonna be hopefully a, a day in time that we will stand before you and we will we will never see this this side of glory but god that we will stand in front of our king in front of our savior jesus christ and father as he says look around you that these people were those little seeds that were planted that the gospel went forth and flourished because of the work that god did in their lives father what a joy that'll be that we don't want to be that person that stands and just oh we were just thankful we just barely got in but father make us an orchard a, a, a faithful following that is committed uh, to the work of the gospel to the advancement of the kingdom father that will go far beyond anything we do here father and there's things that uh, we pray that you will just uh, break our hearts for that this uh, church here this this body is yours father but that she will continue to be a gospel outpost and that through her will go out uh, many men and women and children that will go into areas that father you have placed that person that has never heard the gospel and that they would respond by faith and they would just eternally be changed so father we praise you for all that you do you are a good good god and so gracious in all things and we pray all this in jesus name amen